0: The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit FBCR.org. Good morning. Oh, no, no, no. Nope, let's try that again. Good morning. Hey, that's better. My name is Ryan Musser, and I am just a church member here, but I was a pastor and youth minister for many years, and I get an opportunity to serve during this season, and I am so very thankful. My beautiful wife, Rachel, is here in the second row, because we're second row Baptists, apparently, and that's fine with us. We are so grateful for the opportunity we've had to be with you. We've got a few more weeks together, and we are enjoying it. Thank you so much for your kind words and encouragement during this time. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you who are in this room, but also those of you who are in Worship East, where we're live streaming, welcome. We are so excited that you are here today. Also, if you are worshiping with us online, you're checking this out on YouTube, maybe you're traveling or you're not feeling well or whatever has gone on, or you have a three-year-old like I do, I understand you. We are so thankful that you are worshiping with us as well. We're in a sermon series right now called after Easter, after Easter growing up would have felt like the nap that happens after the Easter egg hunt. You know, that thing where the parents are thankful for the grace of God and that it is finally finished all of this, hiding the eggs and doing other things and getting the kids up and all of that. But after Easter in this context is looking at what the heck did this change for these people? What difference did it actually make? And we've been looking at their lives after Easter, and it makes a difference, as it turns out. It wasn't something where they planned some other activities later on that week and just went on with their lives. Oh, Easter changes everything. Today we'll be reading a story in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and it goes a little bit like this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon... And a man lame from birth was being carried in and people would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked him for alms. Peter looked at him intently, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. He expected to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver, no gold. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them. And walking and leaping and praising God... All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Last week, we were talking about Peter. We were talking about the fact that Peter had betrayed Christ. Three times, Peter's given an opportunity On the night that Jesus is being condemned as a criminal right outside, sitting around a charcoal fire, Peter's given an opportunity to say, yes, I'm with him. That's my rabbi. That's my teacher. That's an innocent man. Three times he's given that opportunity and three times he denies him. Jesus is crucified and buried, but he gets back up. And he finds Peter later on on a shoreline not too far away and builds a charcoal fire and three times he restores peter not just you get to be among the disciples again congratulations not just i'm not kicking you out of the kingdom but no i want you to be a leader you feed my sheep you shepherd them follow me And he explains, this time it's going to cost you everything. Don't worry, you know it's going to lead to arrest and death. If you go for it this time, it will cost you everything you have. And Peter walks boldly into that reality. Then we have some more days past. There's this period of time that we've described where Jesus is appearing and disappearing. And I've called it the Where's Waldo game with Jesus. Because he's there and he's gone. He's getting them used to the idea that the Holy Spirit is going to be with them. Not going to see him, but he's going to be there. At this point in time in the story, Jesus has come to the ascension in Acts chapter 1. It's time for Jesus to go. He spent all this time teaching them and helping get them ready for this moment. And he says, I'm going to send power from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And he ascends and goes and the disciples stay there in Jerusalem and they wait. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days from Passover, seven weeks from the day of Easter, the Spirit comes and descends on the disciples as tongues of fire. And Peter, the fisherman, becomes the shepherd and preaches his first sermon. And people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They come to know the resurrection power in their lives. They come and see that Easter changes everything and these people's lives are moved and changed. And then in Acts chapter 2, just before this, we see the early believers taking everything they've got and pulling it together and selling their property and giving it to the poor and needy among them and making sure that no one had a need. And They're there living and caring. For one another. And then we come to Acts chapter 3. Now, at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says that signs and wonders were going on. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple. Now, I want to clarify something. These men did not think they were out to start a new religion. They were not trying to do that. Nowhere in the gospels does Jesus talk about creating this thing called Christianity. It wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't something he wanted to do. It wasn't the intention. The religion is not the point. They were followers of the way of Jesus. And they saw it as entirely consistent with the Old Testament. Entirely consistent with the Hebrew Bible. That the Messiah has come. And is now showing them the way to live out life with God. And so... They're going to the temple. When you do. At the hour of prayer. At three o'clock. To God's house. And they're going to worship. And they're going to pray. And on the way there. Going to God's house. Where God is. Where healing and wholeness happens. They see a paralyzed man. Outside the gate. Now. Some people carried this paralyzed man over there outside the gate, just outside God's house, just outside where the healing and wholeness happens. He's probably not that welcome to go in. There's some passages that would have given them pause, certainly for him to be able to serve in the temple. But at this point in time, people saw a disability as a sign of sin. He's probably not that welcome in God's house. There are those really religious people who say he has too much sin to come in. And so he's outside and he's begging. There's no Social Security, there's no Medicare, there's no disability. This guy has no way of making a living. So, this is what he's got. He sits out there and he begs day in and day out. And these people carry him and they sit him there. It's as good as they can do. And Peter and John are going in, headed into worship, when he stops them and asks for money. They don't have any money. Remember in Acts chapter 2? They sold all their possessions. They gave everything they had. All of them had given it all. They had taken care of each other. And when they walked up to pray that day, they weren't carrying a money purse with them. They didn't have anything. By the way, the next time someone asks you for money, the only biblical excuse I can find not to give it is if you already gave everything you have away. So there you go. Just from me to you, I've given you something today. (laughs) Nonetheless, these men don't have anything. They have nothing to give. And they're staring at him intently. If you'll bear with me, I have to imagine, after all the times that Jesus said, you feed them, after all the time that Jesus said, love your neighbor, after all the times that Jesus had taught them, they have to be staring going, and now what do you want, Jesus? What are we to do? We don't have any money. What would Jesus do if he were here? It's one of those situations, I imagine for Peter, it's bringing up something in his mind. I I swear I remember, way back when this whole thing started years ago with Jesus that we were actually in a similar situation. I remember something about a paralyzed man sitting around for Jesus when he started preaching and doing his ministry. The Luke passage we read earlier is from Luke chapter five. Jesus is in a house. He's there to preach. He's teaching. He's explaining things. And there's a big crowd at the house. I have a pretty large house right now, but I, I used to be a youth manager had a smaller house. And it didn't take very long to fill that house and make it to where ingress and egress, coming and going, not really a thing. And that's what's happened in this house. It is packed to the brim. And it says that some men saw a paralyzed man. There, there was a paralyzed man who couldn't get in. Some men. We always translate that in our, in our own reading As his friends. Go look again. It doesn't say that. It says some men. Got the paralyzed man. And brought him to Jesus. Some men saw that there's somebody. Who couldn't get to God in this house. Who couldn't get to the healing and the hope who couldn't get there. And so they picked him up and they get to the house. And when they get there, as if they haven't done enough, there's no way into the house. So they take the man in this little mat and they carry him up to the roof. And the obstacle between him, they rip apart the roof. And I understand you can fix roofs a lot easier in that day, but please don't miss this. They ripped apart some guy's roof. And lowered him down in front of Jesus. And it says very clearly. That Jesus saw their faith. And healed this man. Recap. These are ordinary people. These aren't the 12. These aren't. The 70, these aren't special anythings. These are ordinary human beings who have seen somebody who couldn't get into the house of God's healing and hope, and they ripped apart the obstacles that were keeping him out. Their belief lived out, their faith changed his life forever. I told you last week about my papa who taught me to drive when I was 12 years old. I think there was some concern that a 12-year-old was driving a truck. It's a true story. And he did teach me to drive a truck when I was 12 years old. When I was 8 years old, my papa rented a bulldozer one weekend. And he rented it from a friend because he wanted the bulldozer to clear some brush. My mom was working that weekend, and so papa and granny were taking care of me. Papa was a great babysitter. And <laughs> Papa ran into a bulldozer and said, little buddy, let's go out and we're going to drive the bulldozer. Do we have any eight-year-olds here today? <laughs> yeah. You, you want in your life someone who rents a bulldozer. <laughs> You're going to want to procure that. If you're eight years old and someone offers you the opportunity to drive a bulldozer, you say yes. Papa took me outside. He started up this thing and I am sure that it was not gigantic. It probably wasn't an extremely large bulldozer, but I was eight years old, so it's an extremely large bulldozer. And he helps me climb up and I sit in his lap. And he says, okay, let me show you how this works. He starts it up and he sets the blade. He said, look, There are no pedals to make this thing go. Eight-year-olds, you don't have to have long legs. It doesn't matter how tall or short you are. Bulldozers don't have pedals on the ground. No, there were two sticks. He goes, you push them forward, it goes forward. You pull them back, it goes back, left, right. Very simple. The further you push, the faster it goes. I was in heaven. (laughs) Papa was driving and he was showing me how to do it and all day long I sat in his lap And we went around and cleared brush and prickly pears, which some of you apparently think are appropriate to decorate homes, they're not, burn them. And so we would take them and we would put them in piles and burn them and knock down trees, not hitting the fences, but knocking down the trees and getting all those things. And it was fantastic. I had a wonderful day. Saturday morning comes. Papa comes in. All right, little buddy, you ready to go drive the bulldozer? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We go out. Papa gets it all started, sets the blade at the right place. That's not my job, that's his. Says, okay, you remember everything from yesterday? Yes, sir. Okay. He goes and he gets in his truck. He says, okay, he rolls down the window. I'm going to point to the tree I want you to knock down, and you go do it. Yes, sir. I spent that day following Papa around in his truck. He was right there if I needed him, if there had been a problem, but he was telling me exactly where to go, pointing. He walked me through it and drove, but my hands were the ones on the controls. I was doing it. I was helping. I was a part of this thing. And we made piles and piles of brush, and we burned them, and we cleaned out areas so the cattle could get in, and it was wonderful. And then Sunday came, day three, I get up that morning and Papa said so you want to go drive the bulldozer? yes sir went out to the bulldozer got on, he got it started up, set the blade you remember anything, any questions? no questions, okay, go on (laughs) sir, I I can't help but notice you're not in your truck no, 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 it's fine, I'm going to sit here on the porch I've opened the pasture, you go on out there don't hit the fence The trees are fine here. We don't need those. But if you see prickly pears, you just scrape them off the face of the earth. That's absolutely fine. Any brush, you enjoy yourself. Go on out there. Yes, sir. Eight-year-old Ryan on a bulldozer. 500, 600, 800, 1,000 yards away from this house on this 125-acre ranch. When my mother came home. She came to the back porch and said, Daddy, uh, I, I can't find Ryan. Do you know where he is? Yeah, he's on the bulldozer. Oh, it's, it's kind of difficult to see from here. Um, who's driving him? No, that's Ryan. Papa was a wonderful babysitter. <laughs> Jesus started his ministry off, and in Luke chapter 5, he's the one healing the paralytic man. He's got his hands on the controls and the disciples are there and they're getting to see all the way through how the kingdom works, how faith in God changes things, how it's okay that you're not perfect. You go ahead and serve anyway. They get to see this, follow me. They're in an apprenticeship. They're learning. His hands are on the controls at that point in time. And then we have Luke chapter 9. By the way, Luke is the same guy who wrote the book of Acts. It's Luke volume 1 and Luke volume 2. And Luke wants us to know exactly what happened in chapter 9 in verse 1. When he says, Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It's day two on the bulldozer. Their hands get to touch the controls, and he's there with them. And he's telling them, all right, you're going to go out. But then when they start to have problems, Jesus, we were unable to remove this demon. What was that? Well, that one you need fasting. He's there to instruct them. It starts with the 12 disciples. They go out in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. But then it goes to the 70 in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Only one chapter later. And then we have day 3. Day three, Jesus ascends, and he says, I'm going to send power, power like I did before. You've had the power before. I'm going to send power, and Pentecost happens, and power comes, and Peter preaches, and is this all he meant? He says in John 14, 12, you will do greater things than I have done. Is this what it comes down to? Are we just to tell people? Is that all it was? What's this power for? Peter goes up to the temple to worship God's house of healing and wholeness, and he sees a paralyzed man who can't get in. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus have him do? What did Jesus powered him to do? Peter is done staring at this guy look at me. I have no silver. I have no gold. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up. And he picks him up and the man starts jumping for joy. Peter gives what he has, his faith Belief lived out in the power and the name of Jesus. He gives exactly what he has. To people of his day, the name wasn't just about the identity of a person, but the nature of the person. Jesus' name is actually Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord saves. In the name of the one whose God saves, get up. And the man gets up. Peter's a pretty ordinary guy. He's a fisherman. And he sees a guy who can't get to the house where God is. But he's seen how this played out before. He's seen what happens when ordinary men and women of faith just go ahead and act in the presence in the name of Jesus. And he knows how that story plays out. And that power can be there today. And so he acts on faith. And his belief lived out in the name of Jesus. His faith in the name and power of Jesus changes this man's life forever. A paralyzed man can walk. And where does he walk first thing? He walks into that house he couldn't get in before. He walks into God's house. He breaks out in worship in the house of God because God was actively saving outside of those walls. The veil's already torn, no roof to be ripped off. This place is available. It doesn't matter if you're inside or outside. God today is moving and doing something and Peter takes it out to the people. After Easter, after the third day, Peter is given the keys to the kingdom. No more waiting for someone else to do it. No more waiting for people to get inside before they get healing or hope or salvation. He is filled with God's power and takes it out of the house into the world. God is at move in the church, but not just on Sundays, not confined to any building. No, after Easter, the church is out in the world, which means God is out in the world and he's moving and active and powerful. Peter has power and a burden for those in need of Jesus. What are the chances that this story isn't over? That somehow, despite the church existing for 20 centuries and 21, that perhaps, despite everything, hopeless, broken people are sitting outside God's house today. They aren't coming in. What are the chances that we were sent with power and grace to meet them by faith right where they are in the name of Jesus? What are the chances that all across the nation there are churches crying out for revival in their walls when their God is crying out for activity outside of them? What are the chances that we actually are his hands and feet? What are the chances that it was really what he meant, that we were supposed to be the power out there in the world changing lives? What are the chances that we have a purpose more than just to meet on Sundays? What are the chances that God wants his church active on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays out where they are? What are the chances the story isn't over? What are the chances this week that you come face-to-face and eye-to-eye with someone that Jesus Christ desperately wants to bring hope and healing to. What will you do in the name of Jesus this week? The week begins. Let's find out. Dear God... We thank you so much for your power and your name and your presence here with us. We thank you that the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Peter is here today. We thank you for men and women called according to your power and your promises to be exactly where they are. School teachers, students in the classroom. We thank you so much for nurses and doctors, people who are doing construction. We thank you so much for people who are businessmen and women, people who are doing everyday things and along their way in the day, you put someone smack dab in their face that you wanna reach out to. God, give us boldness and wisdom to show grace and love and mercy. May we be the people who remember there is no sin that keep you apart from them. You have paid it all. May we bring that grace, mercy, and truth and message to the world around us. We ask this in your name, amen.